Yeah. And we're live. All right. What's up, everybody? Other Life Podcast. (laughs) Welcome back. I'm Justin Murphy. You know me. Uh, We're here with some regulars of the show and also some new friends. We have been in the wings, as always. Say hi. Hi. Uh, We got Jacob here, recurring guest you'll remember from previous episodes. We got our new friend, Adam Jezianowski here, and other regular OG uh, Barrett Avner from the Contain Podcast. And uh, a little bit, uh, a little detail here. We uh, just ate some uh, psychedelic mushrooms. <laughs> not a lot, but um, we're not really sure about their potency. So it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a stochastic expectation here. It could, this could go off the rails. It could be mellow. We'll find out. Ben, ben is, uh, you, if you could see Ben right now, you'd see a, a very, a very worried person. He, no, he's it's <laughs> my no. first time, so I don't really know what to expect. So just anticipatory anxiety. Yeah, what's just embrace it, it embrace it and for, for legal reasons that's a joke absolutely this is completely kidding um in any event welcome welcome uh, a little bit of housekeeping real quick um everyone knows i'm doing a course on renee girard well i'm not doing it i'm ho- i'm facilitating it my friend uh jeff schullenberger is doing it a uh, member of indie thinkers great guy super smart man and uh, a very skilled reader of Rene Girard. That's going to be in mid-June. So if you want to grab the syllabus, you can go get that at girardcourse.com. It's a nice little uh, study guide that we made. It's totally free and you can just get it. Even if you don't want to take the course, you want to just study Girard yourself, go download that at girardcourse.com. And then I'll also send you some info when, when uh, you know we have more finalized details about the course. And um, as always, if anyone wants to send us super chats, the money will go directly to Ben intern ben who's uh a, a, just an absolute mensch he's he's uh, been such a good you know contributor oh. to the show always coming out to help with the podcast and the technical assistance and he doesn't ask for much he just wants to be able to buy his girlfriend some some fish sticks and um, uh we used to say chicken tenders but ben is ben is pescatarian so that's about it, it as it, far it, as it, housekeeping it, goes if i was watching today i would totally send a lot of super chats for ben also, you have an interesting. Also, you have an excellent panel here of interesting people to answer questions. Instead of just Justin's same old bullshit, you can get uh, you, you can get your questions answered by uh, a whole panel of experts on uh, different topics here. So, uh, yeah, any super chats we will address, and the money will go to Ben to to thank, thank Ben you. for his for his service. Thank you. All right. Um, oh, I should before we get into it, I should we have a few planned topics. We're going to talk about some very sensational stuff, some very important stuff, extremely important, such as Dogecoin. Uh, but also we're going to talk about art- artificial intelligence because Adam here, we need to give Adam a little introduction. You all don't know him yet. Um, Adam is um, he's actually working on artificial intelligence, more or less. Uh, he works He works for one of the big five tech companies who will go unnamed. We do not want to, you know, we don't want to speed up Adam's cancellation any faster than, um, you know, is necessary. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but Adam is a very legit uh, machine learning engineer at a very big company you've probably heard of. And uh, he knows a thing or two about AI, machine learning, and he's got some strong opinions on that. And he's just all around uh, smart, interesting dude. So we're happy to have him. We're going to pick his brain about AI and, and some stuff like that. I know Jacob um, is very interested in, in some things going on in the news like Dogecoin and uh, Archegos and some other crazy drama. The financial world is kind of kicking off right now in many ways. So we're going to we're going to talk about some topics related to that. And uh, our good friend Barrett. Unfortunately, we don't have enough mics for everyone to talk. So Barrett is just chilling. He's, he's uh, taking one for the team. He's kicking back. He'll be and, he'll be live tweeting the entire screen. So follow and, him on his tweeters. 
or if um if if the mushroom if the psychedelic mushrooms make one of us uh shit well uh barrett can jump on the mic and when we leave the room all right (laughs) yeah alleged okay whatever um all right so with that enough housekeeping thank you everyone for joining us other life podcast how are you guys doing and uh where should we begin i'm feeling pretty good uh, Jacob, you were eager to get this podcast going. How are you feeling? Well, I, I took the vaccine uh, a couple of days ago, and I don't think I've completely recovered. And I, I feel like that is maybe a- allegedly having some like cross effects with the things that uh, we we allegedly consume today. And, and I don't know. I feel a little jittery in my body, dude. Maybe you'll discover that psychedelic mushrooms are like a way of easing the discomfort of the vaccine effects. I believe that that that'd be a great discovery for other people yeah. uh, are you all following the the vaccine and all this kind of stuff do people have strong opinions on the vaccine i'm kind of like generally wait and see on everything when it comes to medical stuff i don't think the vac I, I don't believe the vaccine is like particularly bad but um i'm not i haven't gotten it yet have you gotten it i'm not i have yeah. no plans to get it you have no plans to just not for it Right, try to speak up into that a little bit. Yeah, Yeah, you can even raise it a little bit. You're a tall guy. I I think like anything that makes your body feel like that can't be 100% good. Um, Yeah, like I kind of felt. But you got it, so you're clearly not like an anti-vaxxer. Yeah, well, the first dose I didn't feel, but the second one, like I I sort of had this aching all in my body, and like when I drank water, I feel it going like all the way down to my stomach because I think the heat of my muscles was meeting the coolness of the water or something. It was um, not pleasant. Hmm. Uh, dude, I just don't like needles, honestly. Like, even if it was perfectly healthy, I, I kind of would avoid it just because not into needles. I just think of a needle as like a sword or something. Like, you know, I'm not afraid of if I was if I was like a medieval knight, I wouldn't be afraid of getting stabbed, right? Well, or maybe I would be, but you know, I deal with it. Like a little little needle is just like a miniature sword. Okay, so uh, Bitcoin new all time high, pretty epic. We um we all actually as a group we went to the uh, Bitcoin meetup in Austin last night, oh, and it was like shoulder to shoulder, oh overflowing. Gosh. Um, and uh, yeah, the the more the Bitcoin price goes up, the more people go to Bitcoin meetups. I guess there, there's a ratio. Mm. Um, so I think last time we went to the Bitcoin meetup, I think Bitcoin was around fifty thousand, and uh, there was about fifty people there, which which felt insane. Like fifty people in this office that's not large uh, in downtown Austin at one of the um, crypto companies there uh and, and people walking by uh and looking in the window like like we were kind of like a show like they would like look in there like whoa what are all those people doing like, you know in that enclosed space and then this time there was probably five times as many people you know bitcoin at sixty thousand, a 20 percent increase a 5x in the number of people like it was shoulder to shoulder uh probably over 200 people probably more people than you should have had in there like even in like non-pandemic times as far as like fire code goes uh, and I don't want if, if we hit another all time high, like before next month, I don't I don't know what's going to how many people are going to be there. Uh, it's insane. Yeah, totally. So also Dogecoin is now uh, going through the roof at the moment. Well, it's paused, but in the past day or two, it's gone up like what percent? Uh, I think it doubled. Yes. Yeah. Okay. More like more. Yeah. Hundred and fourteen percent. Twenty four hour increase. Yeah. 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 So any I can't, I can't change it out. Uh, you can't you can't sell. Yeah. Oh. Crazy. Why? Why not? On accident. Oh, yeah. I guess some some of the brokerages are having trouble with uh, their systems. Yeah. So I think Dogecoin was shut down yesterday. I I I think Dogecoin. It it well, it's kind of literally stupid. It's kind of purposely stupid. So I've never bought it because it's kind of self-described as stupid. So, uh, what's your take? Uh, yeah. Well, I I feel a little 
Well, first of all, I, I feel very, um, you know, uh, grateful, but also a little greedy to be getting all my topics in before Adam really has oh, a. Don't worry about it. Has a has a chance. We'll hit him with the AI soon, it's but we got to make him wait for the AI. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, you know, you know, this is the teaser stuff. I guess. yeah, it's warming him up. Um, well, the Dogecoin, um, you know, it's a pure meme coin. And it's constructed so that it has an inflation rate of 5% per year, which, you know, it's sort of very un-Bitcoinonian, where like Bitcoin, uh, I like to refer to as an art project on the on the nature of scarcity. It is like pure scarcity. That's what Bitcoin is. Um, and, uh, you know, on the thesis that like the perfect money is one that is perfectly scarce. Um, whereas Dogecoin is not that and it has a meme attached to it. It was sort of built as a joke to make fun of the idea of cryptocurrency, mm. and um, and I guess I think it's kind of what it's doing. Uh, I'm I, when I as someone that you know has a significant portion of his net worth in crypto, when I see Dogecoin start making CNBC as as a news item, I start to get pretty scared because uh, we're at this phase where like crypto is inching towards legitimacy, and like crypto itself is like kind of. A joke to most people but nowadays it's getting more and more serious like you know uh companies are starting to buy it there's probably going to be a bitcoin etf this year uh, a very pro bitcoin person just got appointed to the head of the sec um he uh, he actually has taught the classes on cryptocurrency at i believe mit uh and he's now the sec chairman so we're probably going to get a crypto etf based uh so you have all this mainstream adoption going on, and then you have like Doge rocking up the, <laughs> uh-huh. the charts, right? And, and to the point that they're quoting it on CNBC, it's the eighth most valuable cryptocurrency by market cap now. And, um, and you know, it kind of is this thing that maybe is like exploding the, the faith in cryptocurrency. It's sort of like, it, it's, it's sort of like, uh, you know, crapping in the commons, uh, kind of. And, and, and Elon says, um, you know, he believes in Dogecoin because... Like the funniest thing, it to like whatever is the funniest eventuality is the one that's most likely to happen. And uh, I'm, I mean, I I I, I think I, I take I, I have a sense of levity about me, but I do take things a little bit more seriously. Like I'm not a complete nihilist or dadaist, and yeah, and I'm like I, I actually believe in like better technology and like this could be a part of the of our world going forward. Is like this open financial system built on the blockchain that's pan national. Um, like I actually think that's important and good probably. Uh, and, and so I'm not, I, I'm sort of pissed off at Dogecoin. Like I don't really, um, embrace that Dada spirit that like everything's a joke. Uh, but yeah, yeah. you can't deny that it, it's, I guess. The- so I think that, I think the, the reason Elon Musk likes to talk positively about Dogecoin is simply to create some smoke and mirrors for his pumping of Bitcoin. He doesn't oh, like so that's my theory anyway. He doesn't want to get in trouble for pumping Bitcoin, which he you know it's someone his, with his kind of influence. He has you know serious liabilities there. Like if he um, you know gets accused of you know manipulating markets, like buying Bitcoin and then hyping it up or whatever. So he probably I think wants to stay clear of that. And one way to do that is by um, speaking favorably about a bunch of things, mm-hmm. some many of which kind of don't make sense or clearly joking. Uh, and so I think by, by endorsing a few different things with different levels of seriousness and then buying some of them, but not buying others, it gives him, um, some plausible deniability. If anyone ever comes at him later with accusations of, of, you know, um, insider trading or whatever they call market manipulation, whatever the, exactly the, the accusation would be that so it's, it's possible, but you know, Elon was very much anti-Bitcoin until, uh, just this past year. Like he, he was 
tweeting things like um, how Bitcoin's based on nothing and like he didn't believe in it like about a year ago. And then it was about three, three or four months ago that he got the religion and started or maybe maybe about six months ago, he got the religion and started being pro Bitcoin. Um, I mean, I, I think it's kind of a case of like fleas have fleas to bite them, though. Uh, mm. Like, uh, you know, when I, I see Dogecoin rising the charts, I'm like, this might take down the whole crypto ecosystem. You know, there's it, going to be a speculative bubble in Dogecoin. People are going to lose faith in cryptocurrency altogether. Dogecoin is going to dump like 99% and Bitcoin will dump like 60%. We'll all be sad. And, no. uh, and like, I, no. I worry about that. But I think, Say ain't but so. I think th that is the function of Bitcoin to legacy financials. It's like Bitcoin is getting to the point where if we have a blow off top like we did um, in 2017, uh, you know, we're talking about something. We're talking about um, 10 to 20x what 2017 was. We're talking about trillion dollar market caps. We're trillion dollar asset classes, uh, multi-trillion dollar asset classes, maybe five, six trillion, you know, that's non-trivial. Like if Bitcoin crashes an uh, 80% like it did in 2017, this time it's taking down uh, a whole, whole mess of, it, it, it's, you're going to feel it all over the place. Uh, so like Bitcoin is sort of this uh, art project that, that has turned into like this poison pill that could completely cause a lot of trouble and 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 uh, heartburn for a lot of legacy financial people and it's like making a bunch of you know yahoo's rich uh and then dogecoin is kind of that to bitcoin uh where it's this troublesome thing that could you know take down a lot of bitcoin holders but and, and it's making a bunch of like complete morons rich um, <laughs> so, a uh, shout out to Cute Nomina for the uh, super chat. The question is: Does Dogecoin solve space time? No, I'm afraid not. That's a relatively quick one. But thank you for the question. Unless anyone wants, <laughs> unless anyone wants to dispute that, I'm not sure if people are hearing Barrett. You might get some echo from him, but uh, he said he said it's not Perelman's conjecture. Um, did I get the right Perelman? Yeah. Did you say? Yeah, name right. I don't know that I need to look it up. And shout out to Green Glassful, who's got a super chat here. Uh, no, I don't. I, I, I do. I'm not. I, I need to catch up. Uh, the, he, is, he, is, he is the ultimate neat. Remind yeah. me, who is it? Uh, he's this uh, Russian mathematician. He, I believe he held no posts and he had like no job, right? He was oh, he's the guy who like declined the Bates medal, right? Yeah, or, he, yeah. He, he, I think he lived with his mom. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just did math. He was like 42. He had like an epic beard and long hair. And he's the king of the neats then. Yeah, wow. He's the king of the gave, gave, rejected a million dollars. Good for him. Yeah. That's like um, Jean-Paul Sartre rejected the Nobel Prize. That's a badass move to reject prizes. I'm a big fan yeah, of this. Especially when you're living with your mom and like, the prize comes with a million dollars. Well, if you have a good mom who loves you, why do you need a prize? Exactly. That is the prize, isn't it? Uh, so, folks, Sartre, Sartre, right, did not necessarily have that uh, well, benefit. Said, uh, which, uh, said, said something that I theologically disagree with quite a bit. Which I, a lot of well, I think, I think he, in one of his plays, someone says, "Hell is other people," oh, no. and and that's uh, I think sort of the opposite of truth. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a there's an Orthodox saint that says, uh, "In hell, we can't see each other's faces," and so there's like there's hmm. a sense of like hell being isolation and like thriving being more like living in communion with each other to be fair sart meant more that in contemporary society given the pervasive bad faith that exists between bourgeois subjects hell is other people mm. but not in an not ideally 
not, it's not like the truth of human beings to be held for one another. Uh, but in, in the state of bad faith that we generally occupy is I think what he meant it more as a critique of, of contemporary kind of Western civilizations. <laughs> maybe. maybe. <laughs> so shout out here from uh, green glassful. What's up? Thanks for the super chat. The question is, or comment is any transitory currency. You could flash that if yeah, you want. Green. This $5. Any Thank transitory you. currency in form is a total consumer scam. A little doggy coin not going to save anyone nor provide faith. It's just Bob Digital Dad. <laughs> okay. It's not like the most coherent. It's a slightly schizo post, but you know, we welcome ever paid we welcome we welcome we welcome the schizos, we welcome the neats, we welcome all of you. Um and you know, uh that not all of you, if you're like, you know, gonna throw oh, up some cool. nasty stuff, we're not gonna post it. But uh oh. did anyone have any comments on that? I mean, I, who's what's Bob Digital Dad? Well, I, can, I can comment on it, like throw it back up. Yeah, Bob Digital, who is Bob Digital Dad? I, I speak I speak I speak schizophrenic. Um <laughs> any transitory currency in form is a total consumer scam. Right? Little dog kind not gonna save anyone nor provide faith. It's just Bob Digital Dad. Um transitory currency that's that's an interesting phrase actually like it, are all currencies transitory like well this so, person sounds like a bitcoin maxi who's basically saying this is what the bitcoin maxi says that anything that's not bitcoin is just going to go to I zero mean, but, but bitcoin itself is only 11 years old right so i mean if we want to be all taleb and like lindy like we'd have to say like you know gold is probably the longest lasting widely widest used currency in human history all right. Uh, I mean, the dollar uh, in its non-gold-backed form has been around since I believe 1971 is when we uh, closed the gold window. Uh, and so I don't, I don't believe the dollar. I don't believe in the dollar. Um, I think I believe in. I think I believe in gold. I don't know. Why well, believe in gold? Uh, because it is been. People like it. <laughs> <laughs> like, but you know, it's it. I think either gold or like nuclear weapons. Like, I think, but nuclear weapons are too large to really barter with. Who is Bob Digital Dad? I want to. No, it's not that important. I was just curious if anyone knows. I think in the future maybe we'll have a currency where the, like the the large denomination is a nuclear warhead, and like smaller denominations are like AK forty sevens, and then smaller denominations are like maybe sharp knives. Dude, imagine if imagine if you work high up in the military and your job is like guarding some of the nuclear weapons, and you like you can make it NFTs of the nuclear weapons. <laughs> like that's what I would do if I was if I was charged with that job. I would like take a picture of it, make it an NFT. Or something like that, and sell it for a million dollars. Well, so I mean, was it Lenin or Mao that said power comes from the barrel of a Mao. gun? Mao, boom. Power, power, power comes from the uh, barrel of a gun. Um, well, there, I think cryptography is another source of power, uh, which is something that we're beginning to um, realize because you can't you can't shoot what you, you what you don't know. Uh, so, like, like the control of information is also power, uh, and uh, and cryptography provides the ability to make property in information. Uh, just like force is the way that you create property in real space. Um, uh, cryptography creates property in information space. So there's two, now we have two ways that power can flow out of the barrel of a gun or out of the hands of a cryptographer. But uh, so that's why perhaps um, Bitcoin as money makes sense. I think I think it makes sense. It's it's thermodynamically perfect money. The only thermodynamically perfect money we've ever had. But only only um, Adam is laughing. I, I Adam, I, I Adam, completely disagree. All right, saying. get in it. Like yeah. get in there, Adam. Well, so like I think currency as uh, energy and abstraction for energy makes sense. So like 
I, uh, I grow a cow, I grow some crops, like I put some work and labor into that. I put some material into that. Like that took some energy to produce that. And I want some way of abstracting that such that I can exchange it uh, for your pig or your uh, good of some sort. Um, and like really ideally what you're doing is you're matching the amount of material and energy that you kind of put into that, right? Whereas with Bitcoin, it goes uh, away. Like we, we had talked about Bitcoin being a battery yesterday. Like there's some article about that. Uh-huh. And if you look at like what happens in an actual battery is um, somewhere over in some power generator, like you light some gas on fire, um, that chemical potential that was stored in the gas sort of gets released into a more transmissible form, uh, goes into your phone, and uh, is this sort of chemical potential for work. Whereas with Bitcoin, like that goes away. Like it, it just, it, there's no actual potential for work in the physics sense. Right. Um, it just disappears. Like, uh, so I, I, it certainly like represents a transaction where it goes into the ether, but it doesn't represent. Right work in the sort of useful well it's true that when electricity goes into the form of bitcoin it's not it's not uh carrying with it chemical energy that's right but it is but but it is it is nonetheless storing potential social energy right because you can you can make people do stuff with that money right really like denominates sure sure but the the other issue though is that when you put energy into a battery mm. it decays over time sure so you can't just hold it in that battery forever whereas if you put electricity into the bitcoin network in this socialized form so long as that bitcoin has value to people and people are willing to you know uh, buy and sell it on the open market for a certain price that is essentially the power to command energy from other human beings but and that and that power yeah. doesn't decay over time because there's no inflation so that's what's kind of interesting is to the degree that it's a battery it doesn't decay over time. Sure. I guess I value uh, actual ability to labor and uh, Bitcoin does not represent that. It's I mean, just purely ne- socially constructed. Neither does gold. Um, gold and Bitcoin are exactly like you true. spend energy. I, I, I feel similarly about gold, I guess. I um, mean, you're just so trad that like if you're not trading cows, then... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, you're yeah, kind of yeah, you're kind of like a luddite type. You're, like Absolutely. you're 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 yeah. technologically sophisticated luddite in a yes. way. Yeah. So Very let's talk. So. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your perspectives, Adam. So by the way, for people who don't know, our new friend Adam here. Well, not new friend. We've known Adam for a while. He's a member of Indie Thinkers, but uh, first time on the podcast. Um, he's an engineer. He's actually you know in the weeds working hardcore on machine learning and. AI and stuff like that for for big tech companies. So he's very sophisticated technically, but he's also you know kind of making a turn back to the land kind of Luddite style. And um, so let let's start with you know you've been thinking. I know you've been thinking about AI for a long time, and yeah. you've been thinking about consciousness and all of that. Why don't you hit the audience with like your your first kind of uh, elevator pitch when it comes to like your perspective on on the on the, the hard problem of AI and consciousness? Like what? How would you summarize your 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 key perspective? So I think we've made a huge mistake in viewing ourselves as machines. I think machines are something that humans create where we impose sort of its form onto it and thus like what it is doing, what it is for. And when we then sort of look at ourselves as computers, there's a common metaphor that our brain is a computer and our mind is you know software that's running on this, this physical hardware. When we do that, we sort of miss, I think, something the thing that is transcendental about us, the thing that can't be captured in symbols. And, and you need to capture something in symbols to put it in terms of like a Turing machine and like, you know, uh, how you 
do symbol transition tables and whatnot. And so, but this is sort of this dominant metaphor is the machine for uh, how we look at uh, the land, how we look at people mm -hmm. and how we look at artificial intelligence. So there's this sense that, well, all we need is more data. All we need is more processing power. And once we get to that point, then we have something that is equivalent to us that will be able to think like us, but even faster or even more, or even, you know, be able to handle more data and yeah. not. And I think that that uh, leads to this sort of um, idea of AI as God that just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't exist in that regard. And so, but you are interested, are you still interested in producing AI? Um, yeah, I think the actual... So what would it take then? Um, I, I guess I'm interested in AI for what it is in terms of how we can actually use data towards human flourishing. Because of course we, we can do this. Um, I don't think we can actually take something and give it consciousness per se. Like I do believe we'll be able to create these things that sort of act like us and, and mimic us, but are not truly alive in the sense that biological. And you don't, so you don't think it'll ever come. I, it's so like a hard limit. We can't pass. What's going to become interesting is when you look at uh, like future Nobel Prize winner, uh, Dr. Michael Levin's work, where uh, he can do things like um, take uh, take these flatworms and you change the way the electrical signals pass through this guy. So you like you chop one in half and you can have it regrow. And Wait, worms? It. Yeah, <laughs> like worms. Uh, like dirt. Like, we're like uh, in the dirt. Like not dirt worms, uh, but uh, seed. Uh, water they're like uh aquatic life wait and what does he do say that again we should like if you want to do a react we should watch his uh nips conference speech, oh cool like, but but break that down what what does he do with worms okay so um in order he changes the morphology of worms by uh changing how the electrical signaling between cells happens so between individual cells and multicellular beings uh, they communicate through ion channels between them. So uh, this is a way of doing something like signaling that uh, there's some chemical you want to move away from, for okay. example, um, as well as figuring out, okay, I am the head of the body. I am the leg of the body or whatever. So by actually going in and changing that signaling, um, he can grow a new leg or he can grow a new head. So you have these uh, flatworms that have two heads on it. Whoa. Yeah. It's so he can basically just rearrange where the signals are going. These are electric yeah. signals. Electric signals. And then make a new head on the exactly. worm. So, yeah. so it's like you're programming the word worms. You're, you're programming the morphology. Exactly. So can he, can he just program, uh, make brain bigger, make cognition more? Well, that's, that's the thing. Like, I, I think when you, when we think about intelligence as this number that we can increase, that just sort of doesn't make sense to me. There are things that would be interesting, like, okay, can we like wrap the signals between neurons faster, but right. then maybe you give people like ultra schizophrenia. So damn, that's cool. Though. I didn't hear about this guy. So yeah, is this very new? Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, and he's probably like the most interesting scientist alive to me. Like his work is amazing. Dude. Awesome. Yeah. Dropping knowledge bombs already. I like it. Go uh, look, go uh, look that up kiddos. Like your, your vision of like the incompatibility of humans, is, uh, because it makes us special. <laughs> yeah, but I want to merge with the machine, so I'm uh, disappointed by this. So, like, one thing that's interesting to me, and I was talking with Adam about this the other day, is that, like, our brains, uh, like, our brain has electrical pulses in it, right? It's pretty regularly having waves of electricity go through the whole brain, and, and you can measure these, and you and call them, we call them brain waves, right? Uh, and, like, your the rate of waves in your brain uh, of electrical activity flowing through your brain is something like 40 hertz. It's like 
or less. Uh, for, so that's 40 cycles per second. Um, and, and you look at one of these like AI systems that like, like GPT-3, which is, uh, you know, it creates uh, text. It can do like kind of eerily good conversation with people. Uh, and it's housed in some Google data center somewhere. It's probably doing Microsoft. Please. It's probably oh Microsoft. Oh, it's doing. Uh, it's probably doing. Um, you know, just just teraflops. Probably teraflop. Probably uh, maybe tens of teraflops. Uh, to 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 train itself uh, and then to run. So that that means uh, trillions of operations per second. So there's clearly like first of all, a human can do a better job than GPT three at like. At holding a conversation like GPT-3 is interesting, but you know it's not quite human level. Um, and uh, but a human's running at uh, a couple of dozen operations per second if you're counting the brain as a computer, whereas this computer is running at, at tens of trillions of operations per second. Like that's qualitatively different. So it's clear, like whatever we are, if we are a computer, we're not anything like the computers that we have. Yeah. So one thing that's interesting there is there's a tendency for us to ascribe intentionality to what GPT is doing, to talk as if GPT-3 is doing something in particular for itself. But really, it is, it's humans who have sort of constructed the game around it to describe, okay, here's the loss that I want to give it, which is basically, uh, does it uh, predict the correct symbol? To uh, determine all the data that you feed into it, to determine the hyperparameters, like the, the amount of, of uh, words it looks at inside of itself. And all those things are things that we have chosen for it. Whereas for us, like clearly we have intentionally, in, excuse me, intentionality for ourselves because we are sort of in the world and we are focused on being in the world and reproducing ourselves and reproducing ourselves not only like as biological beings, but in children and, and so forth. And this intentionality is really what differentiates man from machine. And really, I think, actually differentiates data from information. There's a tendency to confuse those two, where data is just something like, um, my house is at 68 degrees. Uh, I don't do anything if my house is at 68 degrees. Like, that's where I want it to be. If, if you say, hey, your house is on fire, well, that's information to me because I, I have to do something about that. Mm -hmm. Like I have to go right. run around and scream. Yep. Um, so it's information is it's I like the definition of the the difference that makes a difference. Right. It's something that actually causes something else in your life uh, that you need to address. But that implies some framework for meaning. Like, yes, you, exactly. like a and difference that, can't make a difference unless it, it's meaningful. And right. that context is, and that means it's observer dependent as to what is information and what is data. So you need an observer. Yes. So exactly. it, I mean, it's. I think it's very interesting, and the reason we titled the topic of this is like, what did we call it again? It's uh, like retard. Uh, why is intelligent oh, AI yeah. retarded? I meant that technically. Like, why is it going so slow? Because if you remember, for a few years, it was like all the smart people were obsessed with X risk. And AI. This was like the meme mm. among like high education, high IQ people is like artificial general intelligence is very possible. There are all these ways in which it could like destroy the world. And that was very hot for a few years. And then I feel like it's like gone way and like no one talk people don't talk about it nearly as much. Um and yeah, so I'm just kind of uh curious why well, it's not developing faster, maybe. Well, I think it goes through phases, right? Like um the first AI bubble was in the, uh, at the MIT uh, Artificial Intelligence Lab, I guess. Like they, 
they they started they they made Eliza they uh, which was this like a chatbot therapist and they thought like wow like you know with most things computational if once you get something working it sort of follows this exponential curve so um, if we can get if this thing can chat in a way that sort of looks a little human like now then by two thousand. Uh, we're going to be completely replaced by robots. Right. Uh, and it just turned out that it didn't happen. Oh, right? real quick. By the way, Ben, are you feeling the mushrooms yet? Yes. How do you feel? Great. You like it? Amazing. Yeah. 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 Very good. yeah. yeah. How, how does your hand look? <laughs> Great. Yeah. I was just admiring the, I guess, cuticles, how, how clean they look. <laughs> I definitely feel it. It's like, yeah, it's super mellow. You could if you want. Yeah, well, you, you could if you hit? want. Do another. Uh, Although, never mind. I mean, mushroom. we don't actually have any. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a, that's a joke. I mean, it's just part of our joke. Part of our, uh, great joke. Uh, oh, so super chat here from Caponic Devices. Yeah. Um, have you read Wilhelm Reich? This question is for everyone. Have you read Wilhelm Reich, or I'm sorry, Wilhelm Reich's work, Brutally Oppressed? Books literally burned and finally died in prison. Modern trauma therapy founded on his ideas. I just want to bookmark, by the way, that I would like to talk more. I, I might want to talk more with Adam about his thing. Jump back to that. Oh, we can uh, come back to it. Uh, but yeah, we're going to no, take yeah, the super chat. Now. I like how you're telling them that. Like, <laughs> you should look at me and tell me. We can go back to it. I feel like Wilhelm Reich is a little bit mis misinterpreted that way. I don't think I, I don't I don't see his work as necessarily founded on. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that modern trauma therapy is like comes from like Reiki and psychoanalysis. I think I think it's really complicated. I I think what he's advocating for is much more like positive and vitalist, and it's more like we have these energies with trapped inside of us, and they're things that we need to sort of like excavate in these in any way we can. And there's sort of like there's kind of like a pretty you know intense materialism to it. I I wouldn't say it's like. Uh, weakening i don't i don't i just don't get right on vibe. no I, I definitely would say reich is in the class of like mad genius personality types like yeah. he was a legit he, he was insane. yeah he was a legit like talk about indie thinkers like he was <laughs> an indie thinker par excellence because that guy did not he was on a mission to, to figure out his discoveries and he like battled hard too he was like yeah. um i don't I, I don't know his work deeply but i do know a little bit about his biography no but he he didn't he didn't have he, he was definitely seen as an outsider and and maligned but um he was also passionate about like trying to test his ideas you know he had the he has these like famously kind of uh bizarre ideas around like orgone accumulation and stuff like that but he but to his credit so that sounds like very kind of crankish but to his credit he tried to scientifically test these things like he was what's, trying to build what's, what's orgone accumulation? um orgone is is very similar to freud's libido it's it's a bit different but that's the easiest way to kind of think about it um and uh, basically, he thought in, he thought that basically orgone had a kind of material reality, and that we could figure out how to kind of harness it, channel it, maybe put it into batteries. I don't know. I don't know exactly what he thought. But to his credit, he did try to test put these it things. On the he actually did. He actually did like physical experiments. He tried his best to figure that stuff out. Um, I think I think you need to start a podcast called Orgone on the Blockchain. Uh, I think, or, or just call it Orgone Accumulator. I think is the would be even better. But um, yeah, he was he was a crazy motherfucker in a good way, uh, for sure. So I don't know his work well. I can't say. You have an indie thinker who was hype on Wilhelm. Yeah, that's I right. I forget his name. The, um, that guy. Yeah, his name's yeah. Matt. His name's Matt. Uh, he that guy uh, who is who got me Reich pilled basically. Oh, cool. um, shout out to Matt if he's if he watches the show. Um, all right, we got another one oh, here from, from the green guy. Um, gave, uh, okay, you could throw it up. Whatever. 
green it says total schizo it says hi barrett uh peter here you know peter barrett who would peter be is he, um, is he the one that sent the, the schizo signing message before mm -hmm. uh, um no he just asked one of the questions before i forget but oh, no. all right well not much to say there then oh, thank you whoa. thank you peter it, it, there's no there's no shame in being schizo it's just the way you are no we we use that term positively here whenever we say that we mean it as a as a, a term of endearment oh, no. oh here we go oh, um no. all right jacob's gonna love oh, this one i got a question jacob jacob who was so sad that i changed the topic slightly now gets full <laughs> full reign to go ahead jacob oh, read the question and then six. and then speak yo jacob can you give a rundown of your main takeaways from the mandelbrot book that is a that is a good question. Start with a summary for people so who don't. The Mandelbrot book, uh, also known as the Yellow Bible uh, of finance, although nowadays there's also an edition that's blue, so that kind of kills that nickname. Um, is called uh, uh, the the misbehavior of, of markets, and um, so Mandelbrot was uh, the mathematician who invented the idea of the fractal. He was very interested in like seemingly random, somewhat random data sets that seem to have a pattern to them. So he invented. Uh, mathematics describe these these uh, patterned but not very predictable um, data series, uh, such as, for example, financial markets. Um, and the, the thing that makes a fractal uh, a fractal is that it has a similar level of complexity on every scale. Uh, so if you look at a data set of any market price, and I don't tell you what time frame it is, uh, you, you want it, it, they look the same. Mm -hmm. Like if you look at like one minute of trading versus like one year of trading, it's it, it's hard to tell mm -hmm. if I don't give you the axiom. Um, so uh, main takeaways from the Mandelbrot book, that's, that would be a really long answer. Uh, well, your yeah. favorite one then. Uh, I, my, one of my favorite things that I think a lot, a lot from that book is um, long-term autocorrelation. Um, so basically... Uh, even if you're if you're uh, if you're trying to explain the the price movement of a data series in the future based on its past price movement, including even very distantly past uh, features, uh, improves your your ability to predict. So, like the correlation, the self self correlation never goes to zero, no matter how far in the past something is. So, if you think about like what that means in general, it means like. Um, the fact that something happened in the past forever changes the future uh, and you never get away from it. Like the fact that 1929 is part of our memory will always in the market crash in October, 1929 will always have like some effect on the market um, today even. Yeah. It's similar in social science. There are a lot of long-term persistent effects that you would be surprised by how long that, you know, it's like you can predict how much wealth there is in a given County in England based on how much wealth there was in that county like 500 to 1000 years ago people do there's that's like a whole field of research it's it's a similar similar thing well yeah it, it's it's like a mathematical statement about price movement but it's also like a philosophical movement about i think just reality in general like uh, about like yeah, yes like yesterday matters more for predicting tomorrow than 100 years ago does yeah. but 100 years ago does matter okay. like, like it never stops mattering excellent answer um, excellent answer and I, I think you wanted to go back to something which was uh, totally fine too, Jacob. So back to the AI or? I mean, we could get it. Yeah. We'll see, we'll see where we go. Uh, I, 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 there was something I wanted to mull over there. Uh, okay. This, I guess we're kind of doing a rapid fire thing and I'm more deliberative, you know? I'm a, I'm a Joe Rogan guest wannabe. Like I want to take three hours on a topic and 
and, and jerk around, but I feel like, you know, this is more, well, you wanted Joe Rogan, but guess what? You're fucking stuck with me. This is more crossfire. This is more, <laughs> this is more like Tucker Carlson's more based. The Tucker Carlson of indie uh, YouTube. Please don't. Please don't. All right. All right. Uh, we will take more super chats if you want to send them. We're happy to talk about whatever you want us to talk about. In the meantime, we will carry on our uh, our friendly bro down here. So um, I'm feeling uh, kind of good. Yeah. Yeah. Like, physically. You're not. You don't have visuals, do you? No. Okay. Do you? No, but it's, it's almost just like I just feel. Warm. <laughs> I mean, it is. It is. It, yeah, it's actually. It's hot here. I mean, Justin is a cheap ass. You could crack honest. that window, Ben, if you want. Yeah. Um, what'd you say? I'm a cheap ass. He's a cheap ass. It doesn't turn on his air conditioning. No, we have it. Air conditioning's on. It's just when you have like five um jacked men like us here, you know, <laughs> we admit a lot of body heat. Ben is opening the window. Ben is opening the window. What do you guys think of bodybuilding? Is it? Is I think it, it's kind of try hard. I mean, yeah, I yeah. Is it right. cringe or base? It's I fine. I, I, I yeah. yeah. It's cool. I, I don't. I don't think You're positively or or negatively. I mean, I'm. I like lifting weights for sure. But but what did you? What phrase did you use? Bodybuilding, specifically yeah. as a, the idea of trying to like build your body sounds a little kind of gay. A little is, gay is to it, me. Is but it, is it is it gay or straight? Um, it's I think it's kind of gay. Yeah. yeah. Kind of gay. Uh, yeah. Well, I think. I guess I, I just kind of feel like as a man, I want to be healthy. You know, I want to look good. I want to be strong physically and like functionally, yeah. but I don't want to become obsessed with my own muscles. Like look at my bicep daily. I want to see that get way bigger baby. And like, you know, the, I think that's not a, not the you're ideal. Not, what is this? He's like, he goes, you Myron, bro. <laughs> you're, you're Myron, yeah. But to, Myron. to be fair, I'm not throwing shade on people who like to get super jacked. I mean, I understand the appeal. It's just not for me. I think um, I, I don't, I'm not that interested in my own, body I, I don't know what do you uh, think I, I, got a, I got a trainer now and he's a he's a he's a competitive bodybuilder uh. um and so he's been teaching me how to lift um i'm not i don't intend to be a bodybuilder but i just want to get off my ass and get stronger uh but it, it is a little little a little gay i think to hear him talk <laughs> about like he, he met um he met uh the guy after ronnie coleman that was really famous uh what was his name? I, I, I forgot. I, I knew I used to know some bodybuilder's name, but he met one of these, these, these huge Jake. Is there a Jake that was like a, one of these big bodybuilders? Anyway, he met this oh, guy. The guy who died. Uh, did, you know, he think he's still alive, uh, but he, he's, he's like Pat. He's like post Arnold where people started getting bigger and bigger mm. and more and more steroidy. Oh, I so find like, it hard to look at dude. It, it makes me really, want to vomit. But he said he like <laughs> shook this guy's hand and he could see like, even at a distance, he was saying, even at a distance, I could see like when he moved his arm, how like, the tendons were like rippling <laughs> on like, the forearm and he was like, That's he's like gross. so defined and he was like excitedly talking about like this other man's rippling forearm. <laughs> and, and I'm like, and as far as I know, this dude's like straight ish. Straight, but yeah, but I find it like gross. The miring is like yeah. now. I I mean, I I think like powerlifting is cool. The idea of like trying to be more powerful and shit, I think it's cool. But the idea of sculpting yourself and getting really obsessed with like the sculpting of your body, that's where it kind of becomes a little like narcissistic. I mean, and fixated. The, the I think started it right. The Greeks were really into it. But yeah, and they were gay as hell. They were, really gay. <laughs> <laughs> they were super gay, dude. That they they had little parties like this talking about ideas, and then they'd all you know engage in sexual behaviors with each other. It's extremely yeah, simple. That will not happen, dude. Um, Alcibiades, man. Socrates, like, uh, was 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 fu fucking around, dude. Yeah. I I don't know. Um, 
Okay, we got there. What else we got? One, uh, one, one thought I had yeah. lately is that I've gotten too wholesome. So, like, if I hang out at like a cool people party now, like, I'm I stick out as being too wholesome, and everyone's like gayer than me and like more tattooed than me. <laughs> and I, that used to not be the case. Like, I used to be like as gay as everyone there. And so now I'm like trying to like come to terms with the fact that I've become a square and I've like aged out of youth culture or something. I might stop. I might personally stop saying gay because the more I say it, the gayer it feels to say it. I'm like, <laughs> like, I, I think I think what I needed in my life was like a period of time where I allowed myself to say gay because when I was a kid in like fifth grade, that's just how me and my boys talked. So like I, I always resented people who wanted to tell me I can't say the word gay. But now that I have the freedom to say it and I, I say gay every now and then now I'm kind of like over it. Oh, and I think I'm now officially going to retire gay from my, from my, I just wow. don't need to anymore. The this more I say huge. it, the gayer I feel, I feel like I'm like, well, I feel like I'm LARPing my fourth year, my fourth grader self. Um, I, I don't know. We, we just grew up right there. Well, we were, Bear and I were talking about this in the car the other day. What were we talking about? How like, um, um, I think, I, I believe this is true that among the Gen Z kids, like the young men, um, who like, you know, like like when i was in fifth grade you know i would like we'd use the word gay and call each other fags and stuff like that but now i think um it's popular among uh gen z kids young men to call each other the n-word with, oh, yeah. with the oh, soft yeah. with the soft with the soft a ending yeah. um i think that that's like a popular yeah. thing yeah. yeah is that what you want to transition yeah. to yeah whereas like i would never say that word oh, even okay. even with yeah I, I, I'm, I'm too old for that. yeah yeah, yeah. So yeah. but but it is like a huge part of youth culture um, to like kind of ironically call each other yeah 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 i mean it makes sense though like people it kind of like shocks parents so yeah that's in mm -hmm. its favor but but also like white kids have been cocking black kids cultural cues for you know at least 80 years so true it's kind of like you're gonna have black kids calling each other that and you don't expect like the white kids that want to be cool to also say that like uh, that's just how the world works also to be fair this is just what i hear this is what i pick up on the street i'm so i'm like a boomer ass but millennial so don't trust my opinion yeah but they say it more as like but as where if you sit call your friend gay you're like <laughs> yeah you're, you're gay like, wait, wait, what's interesting yeah. to me though about uh gayness uh not to say the word genus uh is that i i think the big g is like as a aesthetic is more and more woven throughout sort of uh, what, I, what I would call uh, avant-garde culture, right? Like there, there's some, some extent to like, like which like straight people are trying to adopt the, uh, the aesthetics and, and appearance of the, um, the, 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 the other people word, you know, we banned that word. Uh, but, uh, all right, here's a quick new topic. I want to give people an update on the arranged marriage agency that I'm building. Um, so if you are uh, have not heard about this yet, a few months ago, I floated the idea on Twitter of doing arranged marriages because I know a lot of cool dudes who want to get married, but they're not having any luck because the dating culture today is so shitty. I also know some 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 sweet biddies who are trying to get hitched but can't find the right guy. So I was like, all right, here's what we need to do. We need to bring back the the Eastern tradition, not even Eastern, but just like actually a longstanding tradition in many cultures of uh, but probably most famously associated with kind of Indian culture of arranged marriages where you just basically say you're ready to get married and then you put your you, you put your name in and then someone comes around and just tells you, all right, we found a person for you. You two are going to get married, whether you like it or not, just fucking go and get married. So I was like, we need to bring this institution to the to the modern Western civilization. So I made like a little uh, entrance survey 
and had people uh, made arrangedmarriages.co. It's, it, you can go uh, submit anytime if you want. It's totally free. We only ask for payment when we actually give you a spouse. And uh, I launched this like a few months ago. We got like a thousand submissions, so not bad. Um, and but the big update is uh, we have... I've been crunching the numbers, running some some basic statistical algorithms uh, to develop some hypotheses about which men should be matched with which women. And we have our first batch based on a particular hypothesis of how we're trying to match marriages. And we just this past week have sent out um, invitations to one on one interviews where we're actually going to be kind of um, meeting people and evaluating them subjectively and personally deciding who we think is going to be the best match. So this is happening. We, we send out a, a 24 emails this week. And so I'll give you updates soon on whether or not we find two people who actually we think are a good match and, and tell them to get married. I'll give you updates on that later. If that actually comes through, I believe it will. But what I can tell you a little bit about is the hypothesis that we're starting with. So people might find this kind of interesting, like, okay, Justin, how do you plan on making marriages work? You know what? You have all this data on people. And what's your what's your theory for how you're going to make marriages? And so the way I'm thinking about this is that basically, you know, with a thousand people, and it's going to be more and more as more people submit um, and apply for this. But my thinking is that basically, uh, you can, I'd be curious about your perspective from a, from a data engineering perspective. You too, Jacob, all of you. But um, way I'm thinking about it is, I'm, I'm, I'm testing hypotheses individually one at a time. Um, so we're doing a combination of quantitative approach with qualitative because we're going to have people actually interviewing and using subjective judgment to, to make some, some in, intuitive estimates of who's best with who. But the first layer is this data analysis approach where we're just basically making the initial um, uh, batches. So what uh, I'm starting with, I imagine doing multiple of these, but the one we're starting with is uh, first, we filter it down to people who are generally happy, because one of the things you find in the research is that um, guess who's most likely to be happy with their marriage? It's just happy people. <laughs> so it's like uh, not sophisticated dyadic theory, really. It's it's like actually individual level variables are most predictive of, of marriage happiness in, in some way. So that's kind of an interesting thing. We start with just the people that are based on their big five scores are most likely to be happy people. That's the first filter. The next filter is... Um, we're basically selecting men in the data set who have the most money. <laughs> and then um, we're selecting women who don't have a lot of money, but they're hot and they're high on the agreeable agreeableness uh, dimension of personality. So that's like the basic first hypothesis. And the, the way I'm thinking about this is I can slice up the data quantitatively in any number of different ways. But what we're going to do is just this kind of like uh, piecemeal approach where it's like one hypothesis as I just articulated it, that makes a batch of about 25 people. And then we, we talk with all of them. We see if there are any matches, if there are, if there are, okay. Hypothesis, you know, it's a promising, it's a promising way to slice it up, but if not, then I'll, I'll slice the data up in another way and see if that works. And my idea that over time is not only are we going to be able to make marriages, but we're also going to get some interesting data on what types of, uh, what really are the, the, the predictor variables that allow two people to, you know, take the plunge and, and get married with each other. And then over time, we'll have a data set on like what lasts or what persists. Now, you're probably going to need a we're probably going to need a much bigger data set to get like, you know, uh, any interesting results, especially on that long term. But that is that's the first stab at it. So um, any takes, any impressions or um, sound promising, sound dubious? What do you all think? As I said, arrange marriages.co. It's open. You can submit anytime. And we're going to be trying different approaches to match people. Is it going to work? Uh, I'll let Adam take the first crack. Um, I, I guess on some level, I'm somewhat offended of the idea of reducing like marriages to data. Yeah. Like right. This sort of reduction 
uh, similar thing with like consciousness and and the idea that we can reduce ourselves to these quantities like mm. seems at the same time like you have to cut cut things up somehow, yeah right like, i'm not reducing anyone i'm it, just trying to make uh, some best guesses yeah, about how to sort of like uh throwing bones but slightly slightly more technological what do you mean reduce? as in uh so the question is what do you mean reducing um as in your relationship with another person is much more than your agreeableness score or how much you make or whatever. These are sorts of quantities. Yeah, okay. It, okay it's yeah, it's yeah, sort yeah. of it's sort I of it's that. sort of bloodless. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. But the thing is it's just making our best guesses as to okay. who to match. Like, but the ultimate result is the opposite of bloodless, right? The the end result is like deeply yeah. humanistic. Like we're telling people to get married. All sorts of so my attitude is that if you need to do some kind of like cold analytical reduction mm -hmm. to get marriages made that otherwise would never be made. That's uh, n such a huge net gain sure. to like okay. human yeah. human okay. connection, right? I, I so I think sure. I think the the net the net effect the net effect is overwhelmingly like pro human, warm, and blood bloodful. Well, I, I just think like when you're in a, a a culture that's like not working to get people married, like you have to use all the tools that you can, even if they're like not the ideal tools. Like ideally, you would meet someone uh, and you'd you'd hit it off, and it would be uh, you know there'd be. Uh, birds singing and music playing and and uh and then uh and you'd get married and you'd have kids and and you'd start a family and you'd live happily ever after but what happens nowadays is you have those feelings and then uh you stick around for nine or ten months until they go away and then you get bored and then you leave yeah. and, and you just That's you right. do that over and over and like, or yeah or you live together for like six years and yeah, then and it's then just like yeah yeah to hell i think that it's easier it's easier said than done when all the butterflies fly and things are actually like you know you're on that pink you're in that pink cloud phase i think that's when you're at the caprices of the most danger when it comes to romance that's when shit usually explodes that's when people usually get their heart broken and they go through the process and then they go through their quarter life crises and they you know it, it's there's there's too many variables people can exploit through just like almost like meeting analog wise like you you basically have a better chance of mediating your relationships digitally and then forming physical ones through that mm. than yeah. otherwise like i actually really believe that because huh. because i think that when you meet real life dsm4 dark triad narcissist <laughs> they can do anything within the physical domain to exploit you and and make you subservient to them and before you know it you don't even know who you are anymore you sound like someone who's been hurt barrett y yeah so wait so you're you're saying you're so you're saying you think that like digital filtering is more I, effective I, I think than it's more, I think it's more right that's a good point that's yeah. a good point because if you get if you fall into the clutches of like a true dark triad person but, physically but like they're gonna have so much more control media is exacerbating that on its own so you right. have to use that tool to filter through those people to begin with because they're just taking all the shit they learn through social media and they're applying it to, to what you would say the analog world right mm -hmm. so that's kind of how i feel yeah that's an interesting point also you know what else now you make me think about it is it's actually in a in a way it's not that hard to filter out like hardcore schizos on the internet like they have a way of outing themselves you know um yeah, yeah. and like actually sound like based characters 
are all like pretty easy to demonstrate on on the internet you know i mean maybe not completely i guess like there's like advanced psychopaths who have like perfectly pristine like linkedin profiles and shit <laughs> um and then like you get married and you, you don't know what you're in for but um well justin i think uh, your initial hypothesis designed to sort of have it's like the lowest risk right like you're probably most likely to actually get some something going and so i think that's like a, that's a good way to start yeah we're going for like highest probability at the beginning but but you know as someone that like is a little bit higher in the negative emotion scale like i hope someday like you know you can uh extend it to get us oh uh, yes of course no i'm and, gonna milk um, this data set for every possible marriage that's and, and, possible and i'm okay i'm okay i'm just starting with the happy people because they're the easiest i'm okay marrying a woman with a lot of money fine <laughs> uh like you know if you're if you're a nice woman out there who who has a lot of money you know the problem is hot girls who have a lot of money will never marry anyone because they have like no reason that to a problem and that's, that's why problem yeah that that's why they're in this like evolutionary dead end where they're like not happy they can't find anyone that they want to marry because yeah, well, literally no one is good enough for a hot woman who has a lot of money well, you see, and now they're not having babies and they're like they don't know what to do with their life and they're kind of miserable you, you see all these like new york times and washington post articles and new york magazine articles nowadays about like how women can't find a match right or that a match that's worthy of them and that's because like uh, way more women are edu more women are educated than men and and it's in urban centers a lot of women make more money than uh, than the median male, uh, and so they. Uh, but I, I guess it gets the juices flowing to 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 have a man that's superior to you. But they are superior to all all the men they meet, at least when it comes to like earning power. So earning yeah, powers. That's a psyop. Well, well, <laughs> I, well, what we need to do is we need to. I think he, like even with this. Um, I think even with this uh, with this arranged marriage thing, like maybe we just need to use our brains and like we see the traps that we're stuck in. You need to just like bite the bullet and say, you, you know, we are we we have a solution out of here. It might not feel good, but if you're committed to it, like as the relationship goes on, it's going to get better and better. This is this is yeah, this and, is what I think. So it's know, like because like the the princess meets prince and they and they have the birds singing and they get married and live happily ever after. That's things not happening. So the reason I want to do pick, we need to do something else. Totally. The reason I want to do arranged marriages is because basically, if you've made it into your thirties or forties and you maybe even your late 20s and you're just that, that type of person who you you're sick of dating you hate it it's I'm not working out for you and you also have a deep inner conviction that you want to be married you want to have a family and you want to get on with life and get those things then ultimately the genius of marriage which a lot of people don't understand is that you know it's not going to be perfect it's never going to be perfect the reason it's genius is because you fucking tie each other to the ship and you're not getting off that ship whether you want to or not what that means is it makes you just figure it out it makes you find a happy equilibrium you compromise you have to compromise because there's no getting off the ship and it's like no is it going to be perfect of course not it never is it never it never can be but at least like you have a partner who loves you because they have to love you because there's no getting off the ship and you have a, someone who you genuinely love and are deeply deeply invested in because again even if you even if your mind changes or your feelings fluctuate it doesn't fucking matter because you're both tied to the same ship and if you don't learn to love each other it's, you're both going to be miserable so it basically just forces you to love each other and that like, you know, people might say, oh, that's so cynical. That sounds like so dark. No, I'm just being honest with you. And it's the genius of the technology of the social technology that it is. Um, it's why it's so beautiful. And what the way that marriage kind of forces you to love each other, it doesn't make it any less real. It actually makes it more real because it's reality itself is binding you. It's, it, it's, it's some deep shit there. And so the whole idea of arranged marriages is like, I just want to force people. I'm just going to tell people you're going to marry this person, whether you want to or not, whether you like this person doesn't actually matter that much. As long as you're both decent people and you're not going to hurt each other 
other and you both genuinely want to be married and you want to have kids and you have at least minimally overlapping long-term goals of like not dying alone, ordering fucking Uber Eats by yourself all the, all the fucking rest of your life. As long as you have like similar, yeah, like basic too, alignment too real. Jet, there it is. As long as you have, <laughs> as long as you have basic alignment on those things, it's like, stop shopping around, stop evaluating people. I'm just going to fucking tell you who to marry. And then you're going to lock each other to the ship and you're going to learn to love each other, whether so, you want to or not. Do you really think you can have a successful? I think that's it. That's it. That's a tough one. It's a tough one. Um, here, well, here's what, well, here's what, here's what I'll say. Uh, the question. The question was, can you have a marriage with someone who you're not physically attracted to? And what I would say is that in the early days, of course you want to be sexually attracted on both sides. So I definitely grant that. Um, but what I would also remind everyone listening is that at a certain point, as you age, everyone becomes ugly at a certain point. Yeah, That's well, a fact of, of life. Yeah. So you don't want to choose point, your you mate. Exactly. But my, my point is that given that m more than half of your time married, you're both going to be ugly people means you should not overweight sexual attractiveness in the marriage decision in the mate choice. And I think we have a serious problem today where people our age really do overweight sexual attractiveness because like that shit goes away on whether you're a man or a woman it's and, and no matter how hot you are it's gonna go away and so and the second half of your life you're both gonna be like pretty ugly because well, that's, that's what old that's people just, are part of like the, <laughs> the industrial society and its consequences like we're the, the people take sexual uh sexually hot people and like use them to sell products and we see thousands and thousands of hot women like every year uh you know, world-class hot women that, that are there um, on TV, on YouTube, on and more and more. I mean, probably thousands is underselling it, right? And so it just becomes something that we, I, I think, have, uh, like, we're more and more used to. Dude, it's absolute terrorism. It's yeah. one It's one of the most underrated social harms, I, I believe, is, like, the constant bombardment of, like, super hot chicks yeah. everywhere. It's, 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 it's seriously terrorism, um, especially if you're, like, a married man. It's, like, not good. Yeah, um, it's, 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 but also if you're a non-married man and you're uh, hoping to get married, you have like, like that whole critique of like unrealistic beauty standards is real. Yeah, I, I mean, think I mean, cause then I'm dating, like I'm dating like a nice girl who like looks fine, but she's not super hot. And you know, if my brain's been trained to think like there's like that super hot is the standard. It's, uh, it, it gets in the way of, I mean, but you know, I'm just, I have a lot of issues, but that's yeah. A real quick, a real quick tangent or aside is, um, I've been reading Rene Girard lately and I never really have read him that much because we're doing this course on him. I'm not teaching it, but um, I wanted to just catch up on Girard. So I've been reading Girard. And one of the things I'm getting from that book that's making me reevaluate some of my habits is like, I always thought it was fairly innocent. Like I'm a married man, you know, but I'm, I'm a loyal man and I don't mess around with that at all. But I did always kind of think in my mind, like it's innocent to, you know, if you see like a hot girl or whatever, and you're with your buddies, you can kind of say like, Oh, that's a hot girl. Um, but what I'm kind of learning from Rene Girard is that actually the problem with desire is at a much lower level. And that actually, if you want to be a good Christian man, you actually should not even like at the moment you even think of another girl as hot, you should basically be training that, um, that like instinct and down to down to nothing at the, at, at, that. No, you yeah. don't think, I mean, I mean, that's, that's, that's in the sermon on the Mount, right? Go ahead. I mean, it, it, it well, Christ explicitly says, uh, you know, um, it, it, it like, uh, it, it's, uh, I, you've heard it say, said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you, whoever looks at uh, a woman with lust in his heart is, is committing adultery. That's right. That's right. And, so I'm uh, kind of getting red pilled on so, this. So, I mean, the Sermon on the Mount is all about like training yourself out of mimetic desire and avoiding mimetic desire. Yeah. Uh, and, um, yeah, that, that's part of it.
Yeah, so that's kind of neither here nor there, but I have that, but I've been taking that to heart. And I think, but Barry, you disagree? Speak up if you want to. Uh, you don't have to. All right, great. tell me if you want the mic and you can uh, go on. You can tell us. But I'm, I'm, I'm kind of starting to take that more I seriously. I just think it's kind of cocked. I don't know. Like, I, it's just, it's, I, I have no way to. I mean, I think you know, maybe, be, you, I, you, I think you, you want to cuck yourself. Yeah, I, I think for, for your wife and for God. I kind of think being married is kind of like a, a certain kind of, like, there's a certain kind of, like, good cucking that goes on, uh, self cucking. As long as it's like a kind of voluntaristic self cucking for the good of the marriage, it's kind of like, but no, then again, if, I mean, if, if the thing is, if you don't cuck yourself, you will get cucked. But on, no, right. okay, hang on. We're overusing this term. Cuck. <laughs> we're, we're I always over... hate it when I use a term. No, no, I, it's a great term. But but li the literal meaning of cuck is when like your wife like fucks some other guy in, like in okay. front of you or whatever. Um, like so. If you cuck yourself, she will fuck. Um. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, I see okay. what you're saying. So, yeah. Like, if okay. you're too cocked, if the, you straddle a very fine. True. Line. So if you're so, too, so Barrett, think you think if they if you're kind of like yeah. too loyal to your wife, then yeah, then, then ooh, okay. Uh, str strongly argued. Well, well argued. Okay, Jacob. I mean, I think that personal experience. <laughs> the uh, the uh, the idea. So in popular culture, right? Like this term "cucked" has come to mean like someone maybe that has too much inhibitions or has too many. Uh, limits on him or um, so I, I would just say like if you if you're like well I'm not going to accept any limits on my sexuality like it needs to flow freely then I, I think you know the, the culture at large will give you lots and lots of outlets to uh, to like in, indulge your your sexual feelings and then what you don't end up doing is ever actually having a long-term relationship and building a family you're sort of letting all yeah and yeah. flow all over the place and so, I agree with so it's that. never like yeah. concentrated in one person and one, right? Um, in, in, in building a family, and uh, so so I would just when I say I, I won't, I, well, I like to make clever phrases. No, that's Sorry, good. But um, oh, here's what I'll say to that also. And thinking about Barrett's argument is that um, I think if you're a married man, training yourself to be not attracted to other women is a it's not cucking yourself; it's controlling yourself. And like controlling yourself as alpha, that's like what power, like that's being, that's powerful, right? Like yeah. being able to just uh, control your appetites is it's, it's not weak and that's not being cucked. That's powerful. You're just doing it for kind of the good of, of the marriage. And I think the key thing that maybe would be the common ground between us, Barrett would be like, you want to, you don't, you want to contain your appetites, but you don't want to make yourself weak to do so. So there's like different ways that you can kind of like prevent yourself from being attracted to other women. One way would be like, you know, telling yourself you're ugly, feeling weak, eating a lot of soy, not working out, that kind of shit. So, so that would be, that's the kind of shit your wife would cheat on you for. Um, what if, what if you train yourself to be unattracted to other women, but you still flirt with other women anyway? I think that's the, he's, he's saying, if you can, I don't know how well you can hear, but um, he's saying like, what about flirting with other women? I think that just has to be negotiated between the, the spouses. So I think like, I think, I think like the, the, you can say, I, I think that, you know, the flirting with other women thing is just a, a way of showing that you're, you're high status. Like women want to flirt with you. So that like that engages her mimetic desire. And it like, makes your wife want you more wanting, for sure. Wanting to be with you. Yes. But there's other ways, like that's like the trashiest possible way of like yes. signaling high status. Like there's other ways to do that. Like, of being confident like you know, also it's a slippery together. slope like it's a slippery slope like once you're flirt I all like, i gotta say is is just go out and find some real world seriously yeah like, yeah you really it's easy but to there, say that shit but like but there are there are lots of real world examples of men flirting with women 
just to keep their wife, you know, honest. And then they end up having an affair accidentally. Cause once you let that out of the bag, it's really hard to tamp it back down. Yeah, once you let that out of the bag. Anyway, this is a, a perennial debate. We're not going to, uh, we're certainly, none of us are here, our marriage counselors. So uh, we're, oh, but it was interesting, interesting uh, digressions I there. I think there's other ways to show that you're like, like to, like if you're generally respected in your community, I think your woman will also want you. Like that's true to too. Go, that's that, like that's, the trad. Yeah, you want to be like a leader. Doing that, I want that too, what and I get to sleep. With yeah, that. I like, think that's the problem. Is what the, what can you true? That's right. I mean, I mean build one. Build, I have, we can build I have one. A, I have yeah, a community. So People, I mean, I, yeah. have, I, have a, I have like a healthy church. So that's so what that, I, I have a community. Good. That's true. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, but you're right. Only people who like a relatively small number of people have a whole have a healthy community, and it's a sad thing. Barrett's right, but. Um, but it, but it does, we can just like figure out how to have good communities. So like, it's not, it, it's not impossible. Yeah. yeah. No, no. And, and you're totally that's right. A, that's a goal you should build towards, but don't delude yourself. There aren't that many. Mm. Totally. It doesn't exist really. Totally. Especially I, in this country. Yeah. No, it's true. <laughs> the atomization is bad for sure. All right. We had some super chats. Um, yeah, let's I mean, see. We had one up before that we skipped. Yes. Here. This one's more on topic. The, so I, was well, doom and the one I also just wanted yeah. to like, address a few things I saw in the chat. Yes. One was like accusing us of drinking sugar water. And I just wanted to mention that like, these <laughs> yeah, are not, not, these have no sugar in them. Oh, they're, they're like, they are like hot pink though. They're kind of gay. Yeah. Looking. <laughs> and uh, the other thing I, said I wouldn't say that there's anymore. nothing gay about Myron. Uh, and I just wanted to say that Justin has really nice eyelashes. <laughs> it's true. I've been told that, man. I, I actually true. have very yeah. long eyelashes for men. Yeah. He's not fucking around. Yeah. So um, what is Myron? What is Myron again? Myron. Admiring. Oh, uh, okay. Admiring. Admiration. Um, all right. The question here, and we'll go back to the other one, but uh, the question here is the only form of marriage considered valid in the Bible, all caps, or when the dude buys the woman from her dad with five goats. Oh, dowry, yeah. Moses would be disappointed with us. Well, my arranged marriage agency is going to have an option for securing your bride with uh, giving us five goats. And then uh, Jacob's going to find us a way to, to trade like goat futures. Um, so we'll like, we'll figure out a way to make a profit on that. But um, you got a yard for goats. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but if we have tons of men sending us five goats, we're going to need to like financialize that somehow. Yeah, um, pretty big yard. Um, Moses would be disappointed with us. I think not. I think Moses would be would be proud of us. Um, but thank you for your comment. And then this question was, can anyone, can everyone in the room tell their craziest or wildest experience they had on psychedelics? Anyone got any good ones? Um, I definitely have some. I've done it. I drove a car once while I was like tripping. That, but thankfully, nothing bad happened. Um, don't do that. Uh, yeah, don't do that, kids. Um, I'm trying to think craziest experience. Um, what was it? Anything come to mind? I definitely have some. I, I just need live stream. Too. I got some like alleged. Uh, so, so, so apparently, so once like there's a story I tell, it's a complete joke, it's not real, but you know, once at Burning Man, um, I, I got uh, a bunch of mushrooms from a friend and I didn't know how many they were. And I just ate them all. Um, wow. It was my first time ever having like a large dose of mushrooms. And um, the uh, like the whole world kind of felt like full of agency. Like the moon felt like it was like a God that was leading me away from my friends. And so I left them. Also, I couldn't handle like the social situation anymore. And then um, like I, I, I sort of like closed my eyes on the ground for a bit. And I saw myself suspended above like a field of infinite diamonds with like burning eyes in the middle of them. And I felt like this was an entity that loved me and was like caring for me. And then when I opened my eyes, I had my, my face in the trash fence. Like I had ran all the way to the trash fence. Um, and I got, which is there to like catch pieces of debris so they don't blow away and apparently people. Um, and so then I, I 
started walking the many miles home, but I, I didn't remember what my name was. And, and eventually I found like an art car, which was this bar that was like on wheels, you know, it can move. And I sat down and I asked them to take me home. And they said, relax, you're at Burning Man, enjoy yourself. And I said, what's Burning Man? <laughs> like, I didn't remember what that was. So you're tripping hard then. Yeah, I guess the whole point is like, I forgot my name and I saw entities and I got, it was, it was refreshing. I don't know. I felt really good after. Anyone else? Any interesting stories? Um, I'm trying. I, I, yeah. I can't think of anything in particular. What's your best? It's fucking bad. All right, you here. <laughs> sit up. Sit up close so people can definitely hear. I was like really upset over. I was really upset over a girl. I need a brief break. And I, yeah, and uh, I took a lot of mushrooms and I did some crystal meth. And I was like 19 <laughs> years old. And I thought I saw Jesus in my lamp. So I stared into my light bulb screaming for like 45 minutes and trying to and and mushrooms. And I burned out my eyes and I couldn't see for three days. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. That's awesome. That's religious. Dude, that's good. Um, Yeah, I don't don't think I can match that. I mean, um, when... I, uh, in in Philadelphia, the the only time I did, um, LSD like proper, like I had a proper trip on LSD. I was in living in Philadelphia and, um, nothing pretty, we, I, the only, what I do remember is we went out in public. We went to this like party festival, this like, yeah, just like a little like block party kind of thing. And, uh, no real interesting story, but, um, talking to people is fun. Like trying to go out into social contexts. It's very challenging. But I find that very fun. I'm trying to think if I have any any crazy stories. No, I think I've always had pretty good luck. It's always been positive experience. It's always been pretty happy, and nothing bad has ever happened to me or or particularly interesting. So, unfortunately, I my answer is kind of disappointing. But Barrett came through with the uh, the juicy yeah, story there. So <laughs> nice. Like More to <laughs> so dude, that's hilarious. So kids, do not combine mushrooms and crystal meth, or if you do, don't stare into a lamp. What else we got? Question here from Zikafus. Question is, within this marriage convo, what does Bataille mean by excretion versus conservation in the... Oh, in the decide letter. Huh. That's super specific. I'd have to I'd have to go back to the text to say anything particularly interesting, but I can think about this for a minute. Excretion versus conservation. Man, I'm going to need a little bit more detail to give you what you're looking for there. I mean, I could riff on the concepts of excretion and batai, but it's not clear. It's not obvious to me what you're driving at. So if you want to, if you want to, if you want to type a clarifying question, give us a short paragraph of what exactly you're referring to. I can, I can try to take that, but not obvious to me what you're driving at. I think a non-trivial portion of your audience is, are like philosophy heads. Yeah. And like only you and Barrett have that background. Uh, my audience has a lot, is a lot of philosophy heads, but it's also like science and tech heads too. So between, yeah. between the four of us, we, we cover, we cover the, the a range of topics but folks we are coming up now on uh it's been about an hour and 15 minutes so um if you are here for the first time definitely subscribe to the channel and click the little bell so you get notifications we're doing a lot of live streams nowadays so you always want to get notifications when we go live and uh what are you laughing at I love your chirons uh ben is getting good man ben is getting very good with so the uh live stream management and uh yes uh adam here has a blog at uh counterengineer.com Adam is the counterengineer.com. Uh, it's a it's a good blog. Adam writes about you know AI and consciousness and and permaculture and 
trad humanism is his new thing. Wait, what's trad humanism? There you go. Tell us a little bit about that, Adam. So, uh, pursuing to what we're talking about, like I started as a transhumanist, and um, trad humanism is essentially the turn away from that of sort of recognizing that there is something transcendental about ourselves that cannot be captured uh, in the machine metaphor. And that's uh, when we sort of acknowledge that sort of spiritual aspect to ourselves, that that sort of turns you away from this idea that we can mold ourselves freely into whatever form we should desire, that 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 sort of actually sort of destroys ourselves in that regard. And it sort of minimizes uh, who we are as, as people. Right on, right on. And so how do you see the research agenda? Like, what are you writing about? Where does it go next? Um, I think the research agenda is kind of just like a return to uh, appropriate technology, uh, which is a term from the 70s. Um, which, sounds, sounds a little Amish. Yeah, I mean, it kind of is like the I, I think a lot of where we are today is kind of predicated on having lots of cheap, abundant fossil fuels, like everything around us is covered in oil. More or less. Have you read Ivan Illich? Um, I've not. No. Okay, yeah, you should check him. Shout out, shout out to Ivan Illich. Great plug there because we're doing a course on Ivan Illich in, really? Ju- in July. Yeah, so stay tuned for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, cool. So uh, did you want to say anything more about where that's going or what you want to do with it? Um, yeah, I I'm, I'm guess I'm not really sure. Like, I kind of just want to get out of big tech and into the fields, as it were, like uh, away from... Uh, I, I think it's kind of obvious the way technology is not helping people flourish, but I think obviously it can. Um, and I want to figure out how to do that. Right on, right on. And you can follow Jacob at, on Twitter at Crypto Chamomile. We put links to all these things in the show notes. So if you want to go check out our friends here, uh, yeah, find Jacob on Twitter. And then uh, you can find Barrett's podcast contain at patreon.com slash contain. I, I know we're getting kind of late, but could I give my rant on the anathemas against origin <laughs> and, the, and the foundation of Christian sexual morality? Sure, <laughs> go for it. I mean, it kind of, kind of like, it kind of rhymes with Adam's thing about the uniqueness of humankind. Uh, I, I, it, I ranted about this last night to you, bros, though. So it it's, feels a little lame for me to give it twice because you guys already know what I'm going to say. But um, you didn't need to tell them that. Okay. <laughs> um, so, so, so one of the anathemas against origin. It, uh, so Origen is a, is a Christian theologian from the third century. He was incredibly, incredibly uh, influential and, cre- and creative and prolific. He wrote a lot of stuff. Uh, he was the guy that sort of uh, defined which of the four Gospels were, uh, we're, we're going to keep. Uh, he was the first one to do textual criticisms uh, of the Jewish Old Testament. Um, and he, uh, you know, he, he, like the whole, if you're a Christian, modern Christian, like you owe, you owe a lot to Origen. But he also uh, got like pretty like too creative at points to the, to the extent that after his death, uh, a lot of his ideas were declared heresy. And one of these is the preexistence of souls. So there's an anathema against the preexistence of souls. Um, and, uh, and this kind of leads, I think, to like the Christian view of sex and what it is and why it's so important and why it's sacred. Because, um, you know, if... Uh, it, when you when you do have sex uh, and when you do create a child, like you're creating an eternal soul that didn't exist before, so you're participating like in creation itself. It is like the most divine thing that humans most humans will do. Um, it's uh, it's definitely sacramental, um, and uh, it's um, 
and we often hear people say like, it feels like a miracle when I gave birth to my child and, and, you know, from Christian theological perspective, like that's right. It is a miracle. It is breaking the laws of physics. It is uh, something from nothing. It is the, the, the birth of an eternal. That's cool. That guy's name is origin. Cause that's yeah. the origin. Yeah. <laughs> so, the origin story of, of, of like a person. Yeah. Uh, so, but you think of like the other way of thinking like, okay, if we did have a pre-existing soul, then like your child is, you just, you just made a meat puppet for like some spirit to come into. Uh, but that's not how, how we think about what a human person is. Um, and so uh, maybe that, 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 that speaks to like, <laughs> someone said gay for Jacob, <laughs> uh, Go on. you know, I, I, I would love to meet a woman who was gay for me. <laughs> um, I, I just, I think I just queered queerness. <laughs> um, uh, but, um, so, so, so this does speak to the, uh, you know, the divinity of the human person or the, the made in, being made in the image of God and the uniqueness of the human person and, uh, and, and the sacredness of sex, which is, I guess, where we start from, uh, so, uh Hell yeah. you know, we're not machines. Well, that was a beautiful final word. I appreciate you squeezing that in there, Jacob. Uh, Dan, this podcast went from Dogecoin to AI to marriage to birth, to doing crystal meth and staring into a lamp until your eyes burn out. Uh, and yeah, I think we kept our wits about us pretty well, given that, you know, our experimentation. I, I, ben, you feel good? I feel incredible. Yeah, you really? Yeah. You feel I'm oh, okay. addicted, I think. Yeah, I'm no. Do it. no, but you were, you were a little like, you weren't no, sure what to yeah, expect. I mean, it's always kind of on edge about trying new things, but I'm very glad I did it. And does it make you feel less on edge? Believer. Yes, or, absolutely. Really? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Nice. So it, it works. It fucking works. All right. Well, kids Man. don't, you know, don't do anything cause we do it. Um, definitely would never give medical advice. Um, don't, you know, do anything cause I do it. Um, but there you go. Uh, for Ben, I guess, um, psychedelic mushrooms can have a positive at, at a small dose can have a positive effect for you ben yeah that's good um yeah i but, I, I just love that side but, um, i feel like it's as close to you as you can get to a free lunch when it comes to like uh j drugs and like self-cognitive like cognitive enhancement or enhancement's not necessarily the right word but um in particular in particular microdressing lsd is like the i would say the most purely good like drug utilization i've ever known that only has positive effects for me i'm not telling anyone what to do your mileage will vary but um for me like microdosing lsd in particular um like in the morning before like doing things it's like all upside no downside for me in my experience yeah, yeah. um but kids be careful you never know how people respond to these things differently so all right, gang, Other Life Podcast. Thanks for hanging out. As always, subscribe to the YouTube channel, click the bell, and also subscribe to the podcast on your phone wherever you get your podcasts. And if you uh, would like to be put into an arranged marriage, go to arrangedmarriages.co. And uh, I will I will do my best to find you someone. And, and request in your profile, say, like, I'm, I specifically want to be arranged with Jacob. <laughs> uh, there is, there is, there is an, uh, one final question on like anything we need, sh anything else we should know. So yeah, I guess uh, you could literally do that. Oh, I just did an eyebrow raise. That was cringe. It's all right, Jacob. Oh, it's all right. Plug your number. Um, oh yeah. I do have a text number. People can text me if they want to. It's been kind of fun talking with people and this is a way to kind of, I can give you updates on my work more personally. If you want, if this is appealing to you, the number is three, zero, three, five, two, nine, two, oh, four, seven. 
Uh, we're going to be doing some parties and shit like that in Austin. And some, we're probably going to be doing some bigger events also down the line. So um, I'm just going to use that number as a way to, you know, um, do little drops. You know, maybe I'll say, if you want to meet up here, come here. Or uh, I'll, I'll also send some some infrequent updates on my work and stuff like that. And also you can just, we can just chat if you want. If, if, this, if this list starts to grow and there's a lot of people on there at a certain point, I'm not going to be like, responding to everyone but um i will send updates to that and at the moment there aren't too many people on there so you can actually text me messages if you want and i will respond personally all right ben thank you for your support today yeah, you're not seeing ben everyone but he is he is an equal player here and uh, uh we made some good money through the super chats yeah which will go to ben so thanks thank everyone you. all right everyone over and out later god bless god bless